0: Welcome to another episode of Fortitude and Truth. My name is Andrew, and I'm here again with my beloved brother Nate. Um, and today we're going to be continuing our discussion in our series on the progression of the Christian journey. Uh, this is going to be part three. Um, and in this episode, our focus is going to be understanding sanctification.
1: Five dollar word.
0: Yeah. So as we get into it, um, I'll first go over our focus verse, then I'll kind of outline what to expect in today's show. And we also have a, uh, after I introduce the segments, uh, Nate's going to go over an email that we have received that we appreciate. So we'll kind of do it in that order, Nate, just to give you a heads up. Um, So again, our focus verse today is Hebrews 12, verse 14. The Bible says, Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Now, when we look at the segments of, of today's show, we talked about, we're talking about the importance of understanding sanctification. Uh, our first focus is going to be, well, what is sanctification? Uh, we're going to cover that. Like, what does that mean? Um, are there different definitions of it? Does it? Can it mean a couple different things? Uh, spoiler, yes. Um, but <laughs> then we'll kind of transition to how does this idea of sanctification affect the individual, like you and I as individual believers. And last in this episode, we're going to go over how does this idea of sanctification, knowing that it's affected us as an individual, how does that affect God's church as a whole? In other words, the body of Christ. because so we're all made up, of, it's made up of individual members. His, made up of, his body, rather, is made up of individual members. So again, that's going to be kind of the flow of the show today. Before we really go any further and I kick it over to Nate for the first segment, uh, we would like to touch base on an email that we received. Uh, pretty good feedback, and we appreciate all feedback
1: absolutely so uh this concerned listener, not maybe not concerned um but fellow listener uh sent us an email and just so you know if you send us emails and we appreciate them um we'll we'll shout them out uh if we made an error and you guys call us out on air uh we will we will own it um any prayer requests whatever you guys want to shout out fortitude in three one six at gmail dot com definitely appreciate anything you guys have to say absolutely um but this was in regards to our christmas episode we were talking about the i think we talked about two words imminent and eminent um and then we kind of spiraled a little bit in discussion but there are three words actually Uh, it was incorrect um and this this listener has a, a honestly i i know this listener very well and he has a sorry, he, as uh, a master of the English language. And so I very much appreciate his his, his concerns and his point. So we just want to call out that there are three words here that all sound very similar. Uh, the term is homophone. Uh, so there's eminent, E-M-I-N-E-N-T, uh, which Webster defines as exhibiting eminence, especially in standing above others in some quality or position, uh, such as pro- or prominence, standing out as to be readily perceived, and jutting out or projecting. Um, Imminent, I-M-M-I-N-E-N-T, is ready to take place or happening soon.
0: That's actually the word that I used.
1: And that's the word we were really looking for. And then there is immanent, which is I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T, which Webster defines as indwelling, inherent. uh, Beauty, a quote from Arthur Anthony Burgess says, beauty is not something imposed but something imminent. Also, being within the limits of possible experience or knowledge, uh, as compared to transcendence. And so, when we look at godhood, um, really, it's all three in, in some sense of the word. Um, so, yeah. I would say we just need to n- consistently define our terms. But we wanted to call out that idea that there are three different words, not two.
0: And those pronunciations, yeah,
1: yeah, and they're very, they're very close.
0: They sound very um, close. And,
1: in an effort to not confuse you, as we use big words and yeah. many words, uh, we wanted to just kind of call that out. So yeah. if you go back and listen to that Christmas episode, if you have not, you already have a head start on what we're talking about. Uh, if you've already listened to it, um, now you have an idea yeah. in case we miss something there. Yeah. But anyway, back to sanctification. So what is sanctification?
0: Yeah, what is it? What is it, Nate?
1: There's there's a lot of different views on this. And I'm going to give you a couple definitions. Uh, the junior Bible quiz answer that I grew up knowing is sanctification is being set apart from, is being set free from sin and set apart to serve God. Um, which really kind of talks about, um, and we'll get into this, uh, positional sanctification. Yeah. And then the other definition from um, Cr- the book Christian Theology by Millard Erickson, uh, one of the theologians that I really respect his systematic theologies. Um, really I don't buy into it wholeheartedly obviously as as it submits to scripture, but his definition here of sanctification is good. He says, Sanctification is the continuing work of God in the life of believers, making them actually holy. By holy here is meant bearing an actual likeness of God. Sanctification is a process by which one's moral condition is brought into conformity with one's legal status before God. It is a continuation of what was begun in regeneration when a newness, of life was conferred upon and instilled within the believer. In particular, sanctification is the Holy Spirit's applying to the life of the believer the work done by Jesus Christ. So, we even in this definition by Erikson, we see this this idea of of both positional and what is often defined as progressive sanctification. And I would say most people, when they talk about sanctification, when you hear it in church, when you hear it in sermons. Uh, We talk about sanctification most of the time. You're probably talking about progressive sanctification.
0: That's very common, yeah. And
1: so, so progressive sanctification is this idea of being continually conformed into the likeness likeness of Christ, continually being made holy um, until the point where you die and go to heaven, and then you are ultimately glorified. Now, progressive sancti or sorry, positional sanctification on the other hand is that idea of being set apart. So the best way, I think, I can describe this is with we can we can look at Paul's words in Romans six. Um, but one of the, the one of the best ways you can describe it is you were saved for something, right? Um, and Paul says this in Colossians two, and we'll get there. But there's a book I read, and the title of the book is called "Free to Be Holy," right? You were set free, right? You're set free from from sin and death, and and you were pulled out of bondage, but you weren't pulled out of bondage just to live just to, to, you know, do whatever it is you want. You 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 were set free for a purpose. You were set apart for a purpose. And that purpose, basically, is the idea of progressive sanctification, right? That's part of it. So Paul says in Romans 6, if you start in verse 17, he says, "...but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. And he goes on to says for when you were slaves of sin, you freed and you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you going to were you getting at that time from things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see here Paul's talking about this idea that you were saved again. You were slaves from sin and you've been delivered. And I, I just I can't get this out of my head, Andrew, and I, maybe there's some recency bias here. Uh, we talk about this idea of this Paul's Christ him in Colossians, and he, talk, he's, he talks about the the preeminence of Christ. But even before he gets there, in, in Colossians one verse thirteen, he says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. He didn't just give us up, right? He didn't just deliver us to live hunky dory. I think that's my favorite term lately. Is <laughs> is we don't just get this idea of freedom. It's you were saved for something. You were set apart to serve God, right? So even in that definition, the, the junior Bible Bible's definition, you were set apart. There's your positional sanctification. You've been sanctified. You've been, and, and partly justified, right? You've been declared holy before the Father. But now you who have been declared holy are now being made holy. And so there's this kind of both and where you're yeah. set apart, but you're continually made as you were declared.
0: No, that, that's a very good way to put it. It's a, a dual definition is what I like to, I like to say. It has, both, that same word has two meanings that are very analogous. But again, one is talking about the position, right? You're set free from the bondage of sin. And like you said, for the purpose of serving God, right? And, and I think Paul does a very good job. I mean, let me know what you think of this, Nate. But he often refers to himself as a slave of Jesus Christ, right? He, before, he was a slave of his lusts, his passions, whatever it might be in the darkness but now he's a slave of jesus um and that what a what a beautiful way to think of that and in reality when you understand what that means
1: yeah absolutely and just for those of you listening i think i think the esv and sometimes the niv softens that greek word um oftentimes we see paul's a servant or paul is bond servant yeah bond servant the greek word is
0: slave yeah it means slave, um
1: yeah. And there's other words for servant. Sometimes he'll say like slave, like servant and minister. I think in Philippians or Colossians he calls himself a servant and then a minister in the same in the same verse. Really, those words could also be as slave and servant um, to the to the minister, servant to the ministry. But slave of Jesus Christ is servant to the ministry, and that's that ultimate. They would have understood that a little bit better, but that just being bound to that, and not just from obligation, like. Here's the thing, and, and people are gonna some people get bent out of shape by this. Like, he saved your life and you didn't deserve it. How could I repay him? Maybe just do what he asks. Like, that's like that seems like such a novel concept, right? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I can, he saved me. Now I can just go do what I want. That's not really how that works in, in an actual relationship, yeah. right? right? My wife allows me to maybe buy something that makes me happy. Am I just gonna go spend all my time on this thing that makes me happy and just neglect my wife? I would hope not. I I would also hope not. I'm sure she would hope not. <laughs> um, or would I do things that she wants to either return the favor? Not that I owe her anything. Not that she thinks I owe her anything. But because I also love her in return, that I would get her things that are valuable to her. I wouldn't get her the same thing or say, "Hey, I'm glad you allowed me to buy this or bought this for me." Do you want to do you want to use this with me? Like, who cares? Like, I'm a drummer, and I play drums. And does she care? Absolutely not. <laughs> would she ever play my drum set? Absolutely not. Would, would that mean, would that be any value added if I bought her her own drum set? No. That's not, that's not love right there. Now, she loves other things, right? She likes getting her nails done. She likes doing her own nails. And so, like, allowing her to have that space and freedom to do those things, that's, that's a relationship. So and if we tie that into to God, that would be the same thing, right? He did these things for us, and out of no obligation for us to reciprocate, but if we love him in return and do reciprocate, then we should we have some obligation to him, and that's that's such a
0: novel concept. Well, and on that point too, when God blesses, there's shortly after or immediately you find duty and responsibility. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a, that's a, that's a something we should praise God for. And that's kind of tying into what you're talking about. This idea of well, God's grace; He blessed us, and He's blessed us with many multitude of things. But first and foremost, it's the opportunity to be called a child of God. That mm-hmm. we are no longer a slave to sin, and with that blessing comes some responsibilities and duties. And it, we shouldn't look at it like a toddler looks at how he has to clean his room, right? We should look at that with praise God that we get that we're able to do this, and it's only by His grace and power in the spirit that's in us that we're able to grow and do these things anyway that's you
1: know. no you're at, you hit the head in, uh, on the head and i think i'm reminded of a, a discussion post i had i in my new testament class in seminary we had a, a discussion about are christians who are in the new covenant under the blood of christ and under grace obligated to keep the law and that's that's a debate in and of itself. That is a, a whole other episode's worth of debate. Yeah. But in short, my answer was, in some sense, yes, right? We're not bound to the law the way the, the Old Covenant was, but in the same sense, if I love and have a relationship with Christ, maybe I'm not obligated to in some sense, but in, if I have a love and rela- loving relationship with Christ, I should want to keep and do what he wants. Yeah. And he's clearly expressed in the entire canon of Scripture what he desires. Yeah, and he even says it in some, and I believe it's in one of the prophets that I desire obedience above sacrifice. Yep, yeah. I don't care about your your animal sacrifices; just obey me. That's it. This, again, such an alpha yeah. concept.
0: Well, um, yeah, when you talk about that, the note of, I think often, I think you mentioned this in one of our episodes. And I really appreciate it. And I just want to highlight it. I don't mean to cut you off, but I think it's a value added uh, that it's very tempting for us. This is we're under the new covenant. To in a sense disregard the Old Testament, disregard the Old Covenant, like oh that only applied to Israel and the Old Covenant, that would be a mistake. Um, there's so much value added, and it's you have to understand we have the whole canon of Scripture. We're not we're not to neglect the Old Testament, and there's a lot of things I would I would actually agree with that assessment. Even though you shared it briefly, I know in your post it was much more in depth, but I would agree with that that. And in some sense, the answer is yes. Now, we wouldn't look at it the way that the Israelites of the Old Testament looked at it and held to it. But that doesn't change the fact that there is a lot of duty there that we are to, in a sense, reciprocate. Does that make sense? I don't know. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. And to to continue this idea of just walking in Christ, Paul really hammers at home in a lot of places. But 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner because the Lord... Is an avenger in all these things, as we told you before, and, and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards us disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And that's that's why I like Ericsson's definition, right? It's not sanctification isn't just me growing or you growing in the likeness of Christ on our own. Like it's the indwelt spirit giving us the power to do these things. Paul says elsewhere in Romans, like all the good i do isn't even me it's christ in me who does it through the spirit yeah and it's just fascinating to see how that works so uh, how does that work in the life of the believer though
0: that's a very good question now when we talk about it i think i think they did a very good job and i appreciate the in-depth focus on it because again when you talk about this idea of sanctification you have what we call progressive sanctification And positional sanctification, and it's important to understand both of those are not at odds with one another. The first must take place for the second to take place. So, in this in this idea, we're talking about the process of sanctification. So, what I mean in reality is what is progressive? What is the effects of progressive sanctification on the individual believer? Right. So, in other words, like you, me, Nate, like what does that look like? So, we're going to talk about it in terms of really three things, which I think are chief. One is perspective. Another is thinking, and the last one is how we actually live, like the action. Um, So again, perspective is how you look at things, right? Another way to think of this is your worldview. I'm sure many of us are familiar with this idea of a worldview, but that's what that we're talking about, right, your perspective. Um, So as we talk about that, that the way you look at the world kind of will deeply affect the way you think. It's one of the main factors in it. So thinking then is the ver- your actual process of thinking and the substance of your thinking. That's an important distinction here, right? So it's your process of thinking, like your- the way you look at the world will affect in some part how you think, right? That actual process. And then it will also affect, that-, that process will affect the substance of what you're actually thinking about. I don't mean to get too abstract there, but that's what we're talking about there. And then living, um, this is the last step. This is like the application, right? It's both your perspective and thinking. It's literally how you physically live your life. What actions you take and why, and that's that last step is important. What is the motivating factor? Why are you taking those steps? So as we look at it and we talk, we consult scripture with this. Each of the, each there's going to be actually four points, but three points of scripture. The first point will tie into our perspective. The second point, the second passage of scripture, will tie into how we think, and the third passage of scripture will tie into our living. Okay, so as we look at this, we, we see scripture says in John ten beginning in verse 7, and I'm going to read through verse 10. This is Jesus teaching his disciples. You have some background knowledge. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that we may have life, that you may have life rather than, or sorry, that they, re- I'm going to reread verse 10. Verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, the sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. Now, if you're following along and you have ESV, I'm actually reading from the NASB 95, just so we're... Um,
1: we don't judge translations, though.
0: We don't. We don't. I'm just letting you all know. I, I, tend, I, have, a, I have a preference for the NASB. I tend to read from that, like our, for example, our, our home church uh, uses ESV. Uh, no, no knocking it, I just, I prefer the NASB. Anyway, so if we notice there, and, and this may sound like a weird passage, right, but when it talks about perspective, I want to talk about perspective here for a moment, because this is a verse that can be misunderstood, okay? We see that Jesus says, he came that, he, that we may have life, that his sheep may have life, and have it abundantly, Now, I hate to burst the bubble of a lot of the prosperity preachers and and that. I don't mean to knock on them overtly, but this is a verse they'll use. Yes, you do. Okay. He called me correctly. I do. A little bit. I do, a little bit. But it's because it's just such a false teaching, okay? They'll take this verse and they'll say something like, oh, that's why God wants you to have that mansion, right? Or he wants you to be wealthy and prosperous because he came that you may live life more abundantly, don't you know? Well, what does that mean, right? What does that actually mean? Um, and Dr. Charles Stanley in his Life's Principles Bible has a very good quote on this and I'm going to read it in its entirety um, it says do you, so this is picking up direct quote do you know how Jesus gives us abundant life he does so by giving us himself you could have all the money relationships wealth and power but you would still have a deep sense of emptiness because life isn't found in these things the only one who can truly satisfy you is Jesus Christ to live the abundant Christian life is to follow Jesus, to live his life, or to allow rather, to allow Jesus to live his life through you, through us. So we obey him out of joy and thankfulness. Now, I I think that's important, right? Because we see this is why Jesus came, is that we may live and live abundantly. So how do we look at the world, right? How do we look even at this verse, um, this idea of our worldview needs to shift and take on the biblical worldview? So it means, again, this is the process or the progressive idea because when you're first born again and you're you're positionally sanctified and you're you're no longer bound in sins and chains, right, but you are a child of God, that's when the Spirit starts its work deeply in you in this idea of sanctification, to be clear. I don't want to open up a can of worms because there's a lot there that can happen with the Spirit. So, but that doesn't mean you know everything, That doesn't mean at that instance that, yep, you, you know everything, you're going to apply the biblical worldview perfectly, and you're going to live out Scripture the way God commands. That's not what that means. Now you've entered in the process of growing into the image of Christ, which if you want to sum it down to its most basic understanding, right, progressive sanctification is God the Holy Spirit working in you, refining you to be more like Christ. So, but we see this idea, and I think this quote from Dr. Charles Stanley helps us, that through we will obey Jesus out of joy, that's important, and thankfulness. Right? That we're we're not gonna view maybe trials in our life as encumbrances and annoyances that we can't wait to get through. Don't get me wrong, trials are not fun. But God has a God he has a purpose in some of those and and, and will use those to refine you. And we should be at that sense joyful about it, as we see in James one verses two through five. But
1: what? Sorry, I was just gonna say though exactly where that's from is that James says that about trials and Paul very often offers perspective on difficulties and things he's gone through of like he, I mean even in Philippians one of my favorite verses is is probably one of his shortest ones is for to meet is to live as Christ and to die as gain yeah and he's literally debating whether he's gonna live or die at that point yeah. And he's like, well, really, it doesn't matter. Like, it's it's in God's hands. It's in God's will. He's going to use it for His glory anyway. So I'm going to do my best to adhere yeah. to His will. And I think that's that's really joy is the you know, living in obedience, whether it's through trials and tribulations or through the good times, is that joy finding that joy in Christ and not in the situations themselves. Knowing that those those things will come out better, especially when you look back. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that oh, in your yeah. own life. You look back and you realize. Man, those things sucked. And, I mean, there's some things right now I'm going through in my own life um, that are definitely trials in some sense, and they're exhausting. Um, and But gaining the perspective that I'm gaining, especially through them right now, is, like, it's so worth it oh, yeah. to, like, know that I'm going to come out of this better. even though, And, like, I have no idea how I'm going to come out of this. Like, I don't know what I'm going to look like when this trial is over. But, man, am I excited. Yeah.
0: No, I, I share it. Like I'm in not an identical situation, but something rather similar. Where it's like going into it, knowing like I'm going to be different at the completion of this, like no, like demonstrably different, um, and that like praising God for that while also going through it, being stressed. And I think and stress at times is a blessing, and that's what I'm talking about here with your perspective. Like right? the very way you look at life should change, right, and will continue to change. That's not a bad thing, like. You're not cra- – you, you, the world, especially if you're a new believer, I want to just have a, a quick talk directly to like new believers. If, if you're a new believer right now and you've, you have just happened to – somehow, our, by the grace of God, our podcast is hitting you. Know that the world around you, especially if you don't have a Christian home or a Christian family, they're going to look at you like you're insane, especially as you continue to grow more and more. That is a good sign. It might be very uncomfortable. That's a good sign, right? Because the, the, the very way you look at life is changing. Um, that's a good thing, right? And that's kind i am sorry? Amen. Yeah. And, and this, this ties directly in. As you notice your, the, the perspective changing, our thinking should change, right? And we see this in, in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And I know all of us probably can quote this from memory, but I'm going to read from it. Um, scripture says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice— acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect now this idea again only happens as we continue to be sanctified right this renewing of our mind this is that part of that process that that if you will regenerative process that we begin to take on more and more of the image of Christ and God willing, the thinking of Christ, as long as we continue to seek this out um, in us. And that is actually a question that I'll ask at the end for Nate and I to briefly discuss. And I think it's, it'll, be, it'll be good. But, and, and so again, your perspective starts to change and it starts to affect your thinking. This is that the sanctification should affect the way we see things and the way we think. And ultimately it will affect the way that we live, right? That, that's where, where the rubber meets the road, if you will. And some people want to talk about actions only, actions, you know, that's what shows you what you really mean. If you don't know their motivations, their actions are not worth as much as you think they are. So, again, it goes from perspective to thinking. Now we're going to look at living. And we see in Scripture in 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16, uh, Scripture says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Look at that idea of thinking. Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace. To be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were in which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." Now I always find it interesting because Paul, this is Peter, obviously God using Peter, but Paul talks a lot about this about. Being like obedient children, like right? Paul, and I know John uses it as well. This illustration of a child. Now that doesn't mean that you should be ignorant in your actions and thinking, right? But again, as obedient children, listening to what God is saying, right? What God is, has in His Word. Um, and th- again, and, and I think First Peter really ties together all of this. What we see in just in these verses here in First Peter, uh, we we see this idea of, um. Our, our, the, prepare our minds for action and in, in affecting our whole behavior. Um, and that, that's, that's that final, like that, that's the final step. But that's what, as we look at this, is in our fact, uh, as sanctification affects us as individuals, we begin to change the way we act um, and, and the way that we live. And also, most importantly, why we live, right? Why we do the things that we do. Um, And a good illustration of this further, right, this this is, it's important to understand, sanctification, progressive sanctification, is a holistic change, okay, and and the process of change within yourself, again, to be conformed like that of Christ. And and we see it in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 5, I I feel it's a pretty good good illustration of this. Uh, This is obviously God using Paul, and he does a good job of outlining what this is to look like. Uh, Scripture says at beginning in verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And I think that, that, that whole, all those verses just really illustrate pretty well in one concise group, one concise passage, this idea of sanctification. That, first of all, we see in the first couple of verses, Paul's addressing your focus, right? The things on, if we focus on the things above on Christ, who's seated at the right hand of God. And then we're talking about setting our thinking there, right? We're looking there, we're thinking that way, as obviously by the by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And then, um, then considering ourselves dead, or dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, understanding that we have died and Christ is the one that lives in us. Um, and then that kind of brings us to a close of this idea, and the, the question I want to ask Nate, now, and we can briefly discuss this, not, not to be too in-depth, what would? What are your thoughts on the individual's responsibility in being an active participant in this? Like, is it, how does that look?
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um you want to read a good book on that and and read somebody who I trust his opinion a little bit? Uh, Jerry Bridges wrote a, a whole series of books, but one sticks out, called The a Pursuit of Holiness or The Pursuit of Holiness.
0: Yeah, I think it's the, the Pursuit of Holiness.
1: And very often we find ourselves on kind of two ends of the spectrum. I think we've talked about this before on the show, that it's either let go and let God, or I just have to do everything myself. And there's there's I think there's a balance. I mean, Scripture clearly says that we need to like, work. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so it clearly calls for you to be diligent, to do things on your own. Right. But how much of that is really on your own is a great question. And I don't know that I can even answer that. Um, Yeah. But at the same time, like the spirit's going to work in you. So like it's you work and the spirit works and you work together. And sometimes the spirit kind of slaps you in the back of the head, you know, Uh, (laughs) kind of puts you back in line. But at the same time, yeah, I think it's I think it's a both and. Um, yeah. If if I can give you an analogy, I think too, we talk about this holistic perspective. Uh, Jesus does a really good job of that in like in Matthew twelve and in Luke six. And I want to read from Luke six. Uh, he says in verse forty three, "For no good tree bears fr- bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush. A good person." Out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaks. And I would I would kinda of, I think he clearly furthers that into to action as well, right? Yeah. Our actions and our, our lives are really come forth from the abundance of our hearts. So at some point you might be able to put on a show. You might be able to put on a happy face and go to church and and tout about how holy you potentially are, and people might just adore you for that, and that's that's great. But you're going to be probably miserable on, on the inside, yeah. and your life apart from church is probably not going to look the same way it looks yeah. when you when you gather together corporately. So like yeah. that's, and again, he, he, Jesus speaks of it elsewhere. We're talking about obeying the commandments yeah. of you. You've been told, you know, do not commit adultery. But I tell you. Even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Like that takes things to a whole new level of oh, like yeah. breaking the commandment isn't just the act, but it's the the heart attitude it's of the it, motivation. And I think that going if we go back to that discussion of of being obligated to keep the law has a bit, a big impact on holiness. It's not just do this, just don't commit adultery. It's don't look at a woman with lust in your heart, which is an even higher calling, honestly, and it's even harder. But the spirit is that powerful and he is that powerful but he is also that holy.
0: Yeah. No, I I think you hit it out of the park with the both and I could not agree more Uh, because the reason I asked that is as I was thinking about this segment I was like because you you hit it perfectly there are people that are like let go and let God that are kind of in these two like diametric camps and I think there's truth to an extent in both of them but it's not if you looked at just one it's not true if that makes sense. So what I mean by that is because it's so myopic on just one idea and they get divided into camps, it's you're missing a big chunk of it, right? Like how I would put it, and maybe you can provide a little pushback if needed, but it's up to us to be as sensitive as we can be to the spirits leading, right? To, to, when we feel that conviction and to be bringing our emotions and our, our lusts in check, Right, as we see, as we see Paul here. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, right, to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, right. Like consider, and there's other examples, even in Galatians five, right, with the fruit of evil, right. Um, and we see this idea, but we're to consider our bodies as dead to this. Now, does that mean that Satan won't tempt us with it? Of course not. But we are to be disciplined. And we are to seek the Lord in those moments and be sens- seek to be sensitive. Now I know we'll never do that perfectly, but there is a portion of that where it's on us to, to do our do whatever we can in that process to, to again just make ourselves sensitive, I guess, to that.
1: I mean, there's certain things you can't do. Obviously, we, we talk about the Spirit convicts and the Spirit's yeah. going to reveal sin. Well, of course, and you're going to get steered certain ways. Um, but I mean, I think. Really, and I'm going to steal something from Donald Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines. Um, That's a good book. It is a great book. I'm Maybe, actually reading through it. We'll probably review it. Uh, yeah. I've already read it. Yeah, I yeah, need yeah. to read it again.
0: I've heard uh, a lot of good things and heard snippets, but now I'm actually reading through it.
1: Um, 1 Timothy 4 7, he, Paul tells Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And that, I think, in that context, really has a lot more to do with um, Timothy working mm-hmm. along with Christ and, and Christ in yeah. him and, and with the spirit. But I think it has a lot more to do with Timothy taking ownership of that and Timothy kind of disciplining himself. Yeah, And obviously the spirit's going to help guide that and the spirit's going to work course. through that. But again, you taking that kind of initiative because well, you can't just sit yeah. back and let life happen.
0: Well, exactly. Well, and I guess maybe I can add some clarity because you kind of, what I mean by that is we're given the whole canon of scripture. Um, and God clearly teaches us certain things, and how, excuse me, clearly like different disciplines that we should be seeking to do. And some of those, there, it, it's yes, it's the spirit that makes us able to do the good, but we need to be honing that discipline, right, of doing some of these basic things. Uh, that, that's kind of what I mean, like kind of your point, what you're talking about with Timothy, right? Discipline yourself to be, show yourself to be a workman. And further in those, in, the, in First Timothy or Second Timothy, maybe it is. No, we, we need, it's 2 Timothy, but we need to show ourselves to be good workmen. I know that's specifically more to a pastor, but that, that, that can be applied, it should be applied, I think, faithfully to an individual believer when it comes to the Word of God. That when we approach the Word of God, we should be seeking to be good workmen. That implies a few things. and I, That's kind of more I'm talking about, I guess, um, if that makes sense. And I get what you, I don't disagree with at all with what you're saying. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I would look at if we want to go back to original Greek for a second here. Yeah, if we look at what Paul says in Second Timothy, study to show thyself a workman approved of God. Um, That's it, it's an active verb. It's you need to study. That's he tells Timothy you need to study, and yes, the Spirit's going to use that, and the Spirit's going to work through that, but you need to do that. That's it. That's his calling. But then if we look at his Paul's experience in Philippians in in chapter four. um, Paul says, and again, there's a little bit of mistranslation here. Paul says, I have learned the secret. But really what he's saying is I have been taught the secret. The Spirit has revealed to me. The Spirit has worked through me to reveal the secret of contentment. I would not have learned this on my own. I've gone through these trials. I have abounded. I have been mm-hmm. abased. And without the Spirit, I would have learned probably nothing. But the Spirit has, through these trials, taught me these things. So it, it is that, that yeah, give and the, take Paul's I mean, yeah. testimony. Yeah. screams that.
0: Well, absolutely
1: and it's not just it's not just for us that's yeah. that's i think the beauty of this whole thing is it's obviously for the glory of god but in part it also is through the church so it's you, again you don't just do sanctifi- sanctification by yourself right because god just does it's not just you and god right it's not just you again you and god against the world
0: are you saying i'm not important nate
1: <clears throat> pretty much <laughs> <laughs> but neither am i <laughs> that's that's the great thing, right? broom
0: roasted. Right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: that's that's the great thing of it all too. Is, and I mean, we've talked about this before about like standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before yeah. us, but it's also being accountable to our brothers and sisters and having people who will exercise church discipline when we're out of line and who will you know call out sin when they see it and call out false teachings and call out error yeah. and do these things that help or hold us accountable to keep us from stumbling. Yeah. Right. That's so that we run this race together. Hebrew says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses.
0: witnesses. That reminds me, too, of Proverbs 17. You know, as, as, you know, iron sharpens iron, so too one man sharpens another. That idea, literally what you just walked through and described.
1: And it's interesting to see this dynamic uh, as I think about my own life and with my wife as we talk about um, two becoming one flesh in, in, in one way, right, and how both of us are growing together both in our own sanctification journey, but we're both kind of growing together. With God, we're going more holy before God individually and kind of collectively. Like I'm helping her; she's helping me. We're growing together yeah. in in the same way, in a different sort of way, as members of one body. We do the same thing in the church. It's a little different, obviously. We know no, no, I, but I get the illustration. But does I that like, make I, sense? I like the illustration. Uh, and Paul says Paul really says as much. If We look at First Corinthians twelve, twelve. Um, actually, we start in eighteen. Uh, but he's talking about one body with many members.
0: We could have read pretty much the whole chapter 12, basically. Yeah, go ahead
1: and read the whole chapter. That's probably good for a good study. Uh, but starting verse 18, he says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. that's that's interesting in a lot of ways but it's interesting to see too the idea that we we grow together right so if all one is honored we all rejoice together if one suffers we should suffer together um so it's it's one in one sense the idea of the unity of the body but how does that work with sanctification that's I, that's where doing life together i think it's harder um, from a practical standpoint, I have, have run into multiple issues in our local church where it's like you feel somebody's having a power trip or somebody's steamrolling somebody in maybe a group discussion. It's like, well, you're way out of line. And maybe that's my own pride saying that. But um, one, or, one of the pastors counseled me as far as grace and gentleness is concerned. It was really eye opening to to remember that just as I or you or anyone else is we're all on our own walk of sanctification. So just as I'm growing more like Christ, so is the person across from me, so is the person next to me, so is anybody I'm having a discussion with who's a member of the body of Christ. And so yes, we all sin, and yes, but we should all respond to one another, like speaking the truth in love. And so how does that look is not necessarily the easiest thing, but it's perspective, right? Because we are all one body. We wouldn't let the body suffer for the sake of one member we would want to build the body up uh i kind of reminded of the the phrase you know you're only as strong as your weakest link yeah and it's a little bit different of analogy but i think we're, we're we're on the same line here where we want to build one another up because we are all one body we wouldn't want to leave anybody behind just as we want to continue to add to the body we want to strengthen the body that's that's within
0: And further on that point, too, when you talk about those of us who are stronger or more mature in the faith, we have a duty and responsibility to bear the weaknesses of the weaker ones with them, right? Meeting them where they're at, not lording over them, um, not looking down and belittling them, like basically appealing to where they're at and they're conscious with the Lord, where maybe some things are okay, are really okay, but they have this idea that it's not, right, for example. Being able to come alongside them and and, and sh- share love with them, right, and understand that they're growing as well. Anyway, but that's just kind of you know, no adding in what you're saying.
1: I have, I think, no, I think you're right, and I think even more so. Conversely, and I, I found this with with me and my wife because I would say that the level of knowledge there's there's a big gap, right? I've gone to seminary, I've studied a bunch of things, so the I guess theological knowledge and application of that I have better handle on the understanding of where she's just lived life and, and lived out her faith. And so there are also things in the simplicity of that that I think sometimes those of us who have studied more who are a little more academic forget. And and bless my wife, if you're listening to this and you know my wife, she's gonna be mad at me for saying this. But the the servant heart of that woman I wish I could duplicate in myself. Like she just would pick up and do anything for pretty much anybody without even being asked. Like she, we have different events at church and just to give you an example, and there's always signups for, you know, set up and tear down and all these things. And she never signs up for any of them. And yet somehow she ends up doing all of them when we go to these events. So I don't know how that works, but she would very much like we talk about our live in ministry. Like, if she could be the backdrop and remain the backdrop and just kind of stay behind the scenes, but just serve to serve and do so with a with a servant's heart that she does, I, I think that's just as honorable before the Lord as a preacher who you know <clears throat> preaches before thousands yeah. and people get saved. I, it's it's about living God's will in your life in the way that it's meant to again one man one body many members many gifts and yeah. how do you use your gifts in accordance with the will of god i think is the biggest thing as part of sanctification goes in yeah. learning to use those gifts to become more christ-like and to help others become more well,
0: christ-like Well, to your to your point um I, I can't remember off the top of my head where it is but um in scripture but god gives these gifts right and the weaker gifts are actually held in higher honor or the ones that are maybe not as focal and, and visual as like the senior pastor who's preaching to thousands or hundreds, right? Or the senior pastor in the congregation, but the one that's in the back in the kitchen doing all the work that needs to be done so that the ministry can keep going.
1: I don't think Andrew was listening very well. What do you mean? Because that was First Corinthians 12. It's that okay. was, okay. That was 1, it's 1 Corinthians okay. Yeah, <laughs> we'll it was somewhere. You.
0: I know it was first somewhere in First Corinthians. So I knew, I knew it was Paul, but, but yeah. But, it, but the, that idea you mentioned, though, because you mentioned that, right? Well, you know, stronger, quote unquote, we would view as stronger gifts— God has used the weaker and holds those in higher honor.
1: Absolutely. So, and again, just in doing life together, Paul has plenty to say, but in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 25, starting in verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. And <clears throat> I think to, to take a point to context. If you look at verses twenty-five and verses thirty-two, it's bookended by how we treat our neighbors, and I think that means everything in there is how we are supposed to act, not only with one another but in the world. But again, that's don't be angry with one another. You know, don't allow. You know, like if it's one among you, I would say, if they're a thief in the body of christ that we would want to call that out right and don't let him feel that he may have something to share with someone who's in need but uh, not just ye- calling ye- it out but teaching him not to giving him yeah. something so he doesn't have to
0: but what about their feelings mate?
1: feelings are important to a certain point uh i would never discount somebody's feelings but at a certain point um the we just need to follow scripture I, I I don't know how to... No, not, I, I think don't you, want to you, too, just, you took
0: that question quite well. That's good. I think, you, yeah.
1: I don't want to be too dismissive of people's feelings because I don't think, as Christians, very often we're touted as people who don't care about people's feelings, and the Bible's the Bible, and we're just going to play hard and fast with <clears throat> laws and rules and don't do this, do that sort of thing, and we don't really care what you think or feel, which is not really true. Um, no. I... Again, that's about speaking the truth in love, right? Absolutely. We want to speak the truth. We want to promote the truth. We want to do so in in a loving and gracious manner not to cause division. So, but at the end of the day, the Word of God is the Word of God yeah, and what it yeah. says is what it says. And But we make mistakes, right? Yeah. So I would say if you made a mistake and you spoke the truth but it was not in love, then that's something you and your journey can learn from. Yeah. And at the same time, if you were trying to be too quote-unquote, loving or soft or gentle and neglected to speak the truth, that's also something you can learn from. And I think the Spirit will guide you kind of through that as you continue to interact with fellow believers, continue to interact with um, with the world, and continue to study Scripture. The Spirit's going to work that through your life as you progress through your journey. That's not something any of us completely figured out. That's why... Some In some areas of, of the world, the Christian church is in just shambles because it's so divided because we just cannot seem to get along. Yeah. Because we're so worried about everybody's feelings, and some of us want to just don't care about people's feelings, and other of us care too much about people's feelings, and there's, there's a healthy balance there somewhere, I think.
0: Yeah. No, I think interestingly enough, um, we, one of our pastors here uh, said this, and I, I like the way he put it. Um, it's when we communicate, speaking the truth in love. Well, it's important first, before we even get into it, love is not blind affirmation, and I think that's something that we need to understand. Because um, I think at times those, those charges of the church being unloving is just the church won't affirm my sin. And it's not always the case. I'm not, I'm not saying we should never care about people's emotions. I agree with what Nate is saying completely. I, I think there is a dichotomy there, this idea of caring for the weaker's conscience and, and all that. I, there, there is something like that there. But we have to also, before we even get into it, understand that, Blind affirmation or blind agreement is not love. Um, but when we talk about speaking the truth in love, we are to communicate the gospel and the truth and present the scripture in such a way that it's not the way we communicate it that it offends, but if something's going to offend, it's scripture. Because um, that's how it should be, right? Because we're told that scripture offends, but that's, I think that's a good way to think of it. Um, I just wanted to mm-hmm. add, add that.
1: And to, I think... Sometimes, and then maybe this is more for pastors and, and teachers, but when we talk about just preaching and teaching and like what, what is, how does that affect the body? You don't know, but that's not, not your concern. Uh, there's the par- in Mark, there's the parable of the, the, the sower who, who sows the seed and he doesn't know how it grows. He just knows that it does. So he sows the seed, knows it's going to grow. And then he, then he reaps the harvest or then really God's going to reap the harvest. But, the same thing, if like a pastor prepares a sermon, he does his due diligence, he teaches the word. What really happens in the lives of individual believers, as much as he should love and care for his flock, is between those believers and God, he can't force anybody to just adhere to all his sermons. He just needs to continue to do his job yep. as a part of the member of the body.
0: Thankfully, yeah.
1: And so I like what Paul says in Galatians 6. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. <clears throat> and I think that's important, because we remember, as much as we bear one another's burdens, we still have to, to bear our own. You shouldn't just bear everybody else's burdens and not your own. Uh, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think that just that sums it up, right? Yeah. <laughs> just continue, just to remember to, it's not. Yeah, it is about your growth in becoming more Christ-like. It is about your submission to Christ. But I would say two things: is don't be a distraction to others, and so as, and so as to hinder their walk with Christ. Um, but do everything to to be a help and to help them grow in Christ as you are growing in Christ. And that's easier said than done. Yeah. We all walk that journey, but I think that's that's the gist of it as far as sanctification goes as we look at the church as a whole.
0: Yeah, well, as we understand, you know, as we uh, kind of bring this conversation to a close today, uh, it's important to understand that sanctification is something that happens individually but also has a, the collective ramification as well. And God uses us kind of, again, it's that Proverbs 17 – as iron sharpens iron, so too one, sh- one man sharpens another. Um, I ask someone, please, if, if I'm off, I'm pretty sure it's Proverbs 17. I can't remember the exact verse. I want to say it's like 12, but I could be off. Uh, please let us know. But it, it, this idea that it's it's an important understanding that it's complex and that's okay and that we need to be seeking that growth and be sensitive to it. Um, and it's very valuable. It's a blessing of God that we would be made new. Um, Again, as we as we bring this show this show to the close, we thank you for joining us. Uh, today we did look at sanctification. We took took a whole show to highlight this idea of sanctification, like what it means, how it implies to us as individuals, and how it applies us as a group. Uh, in closing, our our, our our verse again is Hebrews twelve fourteen, which states, "Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord." So as we as we can, as we we continue to close here, as I remind you, if you have any questions, comments, anything, uh, the best way to reach out to us is our email, which is fortitudeintruth316 at gmail.com. Uh, Brother Nate, do you mind closing us in prayer?
1: Yeah. Before I do, just again, just if you really appreciate this episode, if you think somebody else can grow from this, feel free to, to pass this along, to share it, to subscribe, so you continue to receive new episodes. We do post every Friday morning, you will see a new episode pop in, and
0: right and early at eight AM.
1: You don't have to listen right at eight AM. Yes, available. Yes, you do. We, these episodes are not deleted, so you'll <laughs> see. If you're just if you're just joining us for the first time, you can check our the rest of our shows out, and we're going to continue to to publish more content. Um, be on the lookout; we might be messing around with some YouTube things, um, yeah. some shorts, and maybe some daily. Um, devotional or daily reading type things to continue to just put the word of God out there. Uh, but let's close in prayer. Father, thank you again for your word and all that it means to us. We thank you that through it and through your spirit, we can be continued to be transformed into the likeness of your son. We ask that anybody who's listening to this, we ask for your blessing and for your hand upon their life, Lord, that if if they know you, that they would continue to grow closer to you, that you would continue to lead them in all truth and guide them in all truth. And for those of you and for those who don't, Father, we ask that if they stumble upon this, we ask that you open their eyes to this wonderful truth of who you are and, and really what you've done for them and of no accord and of nothing that they owe you. Father, we ask that you continue to just... Work out your will in all things that you would receive all glory and honor. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. And we'll see you again next week, and we'll probably continue our discussion on the progression of the Christian journey. We look forward to it. Blessings.